This is Friday Night Shudder, and on this episode, we will not be reviewing a weekly recap of a Shudder movie. No, this week's going to be something different, because I realised that A, we've hit 10 episodes overall, including the Limitless ones and the bottle episodes, and I thought, you know what? 11 episodes, that's, that's the milestone, not 10 episodes, 11 episodes. It's a milestone. And figured, since I never actually did an instruction explaining who I am or what this podcast is, that the 11th episode is the time to do it. So on the 8th weekly episode and the 11th episode overall, I am going going history on my history with horror movies. This is Friday Night Shudder 101 and it begins in a few seconds. So where to begin? I guess best place for me to begin personally would be with when I was a teenager growing up in the lovely town of the Shire in Buckinghamshire. And I used to frequent a video shop across the road from many of shops called Apollo Video. It's not around anymore. It was only around for a few years where I live, but it was a great video store. It's like a kind of pseudo-independent one, I think. Maybe a small mom chain but yeah best selection of horror movies i've ever seen and even to this day and i remember at the time i was uh, about 13 14 i guess and couldn't legally watch any of these horror movies but i was interested so i would go in there every day and this is an example of how i was a trend-setting jet-riding kid i was really on cusp of society's foibles I used to go in there and I used to read all boxes of horror movies and that's how I got introduced to franchises like Charles Play and Friday 13th and Halloween. Not by watching movies, but by reading about them. I'm quite a voracious reader too, by the way. Mostly comic books, but you know, mad scenes and stuff like that too. And the occasional book. And I just fell in love with horror movies through the... I guess the mythos, really. The sort of the bat story, the history, if you will, the mythology really is what I'm getting at. Because you'd read, I'd read all of these, the bats of movies, and it sounds incredible. It's like you would read Friday 13th, and one of the movies would be about Jason's niece who had telekinetic powers, and you'd be like, holy shit, that sounds amazing. And being someone who, when I was 13, I got into writing quite big. I was doing um, an English essay, and asked, and we were asked, example of essay or something like that, and we asked to write a story about time travel. And I wrote a very convoluted story about time travel with homages to Terminator 2 and the, um, the, drain, the Drano bleach syringe, because that would be the coolest thing ever at the time, which is kind of weird, but... Still pretty cool, so it's okay. And I was reading writing and reading about all this history of these characters on back boxes. I mean, when you're just reading back, you're getting the, pre- the press, the sort of idea Sujo wants to put out. It's not necessarily what movie's about. It's about what the studio and PR people want you to think movie's about, the best way to sell it. And they're selling shit out of these movies to me. Like, you read on back of Charles Play. Two, for example? No, Charles Play 3. And you find out Andy's in the military now? You're like, holy shit. This is a wide-reaching story. This is 
epic as shit. And you're so pumped to watch it. But you can't, because at the time I was too young and, you know, is what it is. And then you finally watch it years later. It's like, this is not what Bath the Box promised me. I think that's something a lot of horror fans feel, isn't it? The hype for a lot of these movies is better than the actual movie. I'm jumping forward a long time now. This was when I was 13, so it would be about, Jesus, 20 years ago. So it'd be like 1998, 99, I guess. Oh, strange. Definitely fixated on Matrix, and I fixated on, wait, wait, how awesome would it be to watch this movie where Andy Barkley, a character I've never seen before, but has clearly grown over this trilogy, is in military school, and fucking Chucky's after him. That sounds like the best thing ever to me at the time. I don't give shit. Matrix, like, your bullet time. No, I want to see Andy Barkley at fucking military school. No? Fuck, fuck, fuck rest of it. That's my shit. That's my jam. No? And then later on watched it. Like, say, you watch these movies and they're not quite as good as you remember them being. Or rather imagine them being. But they are very watchable. It's just, you know, selling it. But that's like my real formation in horror movies. And I think it gave me a lifelong love of genre because I had positive memories from the start. And that obviously carries you through a lot of shit. I mean, I fell in love with the idea of them before I saw them. So the execution maybe wasn't perfect, but I still had that indebted. Inception style love of them based on Apollo Vigil. So always be thankful for Apollo for getting me into them to this extent. It's sad that they shut down before I could actually rent any of these damn movies, but there you go. Actually, no, go back further. Um, I saw Batman Returns um, before that, quite a lot before that actually. I was thinking of one of the first people I knew who saw it. And that, ah. Oh. Actually, that's more a comic book thing, but there's a lot of horror elements in it, like the suicide bombers and stuff like that. And I know a lot of kids probably have been spooked out by that, and it's a really dark, really disturbing movie, but for me, I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was the perfect blend of horror and superhero stuff, which hasn't really been done since then to the extent it should be. I mean, if you've got something like Tim Burton doing a, like Incredible Hulk movie, I think you'd get a really visceral terrifying I mean Tim Burton's not what he was but I still think you get a really terrifying visceral feel to the movie or even something like David Cronenberg but they don't hire horror people to make horror movies for some reason close they got was Ang Lee who on to my dying day I'll say he fucking nailed an Ang Lee Hulk movie unfortunately it wasn't what people wanted but then again who gives a shit people didn't go out and drove to see Scott Pilgrim vs The Weird that's still a fucking awesome movie. So, back to this. Um, so from there, I guess I was I I I would go into Apollo Vigil a lot because I was a. Oh no, I was quite as happy. I was really happy as a kid, but I mean, I just love horror movies and it's something to do. Next big horror milestone for me was watching Evil Dead 2. I don't know whether I should admit this really, but I watched that before I was 18 around a friend's house and it was one of the best movie experiences I have had. Because Evil Dead 2 is a great movie because it's a sequel but doesn't really need you to watch Evil Dead. You should watch Evil Dead before you watch Evil Dead 2, but you don't need to because... Essentially, same continuity. 
his continuity of Bruce Campbell, but otherwise, they redo the intro anyway, which they did for Eve Dead 2 and Eve Dead 3, and I'm sure, sorry, I'm sure they did for Evil Dead, Ash vs. Evil, sorry, Ash vs. Evil Dead, because it's a rights are own, like, Sam Raimi and co own the rights to characters, but they don't own rights to each individual movie, except for Evil Dead 3, I think they own those rights. It's like, like, I'll watch Ash vs. Ash versus Evil Dead at some point. It was just, it's difficult because it's a Virgin exclusive in this country on streaming. And I don't have Virgin. So I know people do, but I don't have it. So. But Evil Dead 2 was transformative as shit. I mean, this was just a movie made by people having fun. And this was like a direct inspiration to, to me at the time, being like, this is just literally... A, a goddamn great director, a good actor, but two friends just having fun. They got budget, they got all of this shit, but they're just having fun and so visceral and so fun to watch and just... just literally mind-blowing. I mean, it's crazy, it's chaotic, it had real energy to it and it just... I think that more than anything made me want to be a scriptwriter. I mean, I was already writing scripts. No, I wasn't. I was writing stories. I wasn't writing scripts until I saw... After I saw Evil Dead. It was a one-two punch, actually, of Evil Dead 2 and Reservoir Dogs. Evil Dead 2 was a, just... Oh, it's so much fun. And it's just... I, I can watch it any time. Like, I haven't watched it in ages, actually, unfortunately. But it's just such a good horror movie. It's so much fun to watch. An absolute blast. And I also know some people who are really good friends who are really into it, which is nice because, you know, shared experiences and bonding and all that shit. From there, I guess, I drifted away from horror a bit after that, really, because when I was about 15, I bought, I was getting into, like, watching movies as, um, I think lots of people are into watching movies recreationally, but as a social activity, which is great. I love seeing movies with people. I think it's a completely different experience, and nothing tops being in cinema. Like, when I went to see Avengers Infinity War, and I was in cinema for people, and the first time you need to be in that experience, because fucking hell. I won't go into spoilers, but that is the ultimate audience movie because people are losing their shit but they're even losing their shit justly so some stuff you need to see in cinema and I was really but I, I find that I at the moment I have Netflix Shudder and Amazon Prime I'm probably not mentioning that because this is a Shudder themed podcast but I have access to all three of those uh, stream services I have Now TV I have YouTube I have a Blu-ray player DVD player and I have an Odin Limitless card, as you guys know, because some of you watched the Venom review. And there'll be more reviews coming as I want as, as more movies come out. Um, and I just, I just love watching movies. Literally, I it's so much fun. And around time 15, 16 is when I discovered Kevin Smith movies. Um, specifically, More Rats and Chasing Amy. And that one-two punch fucking knocked me for six, because... More Rats was pretty much, uh, it, it's the personification of what being a teenager and late teenager is like at that point. It 
just completely exemplified it. That attitude, hang out in malls, and I know it's an exaggeration, but it fucking nailed that aesthetic completely. And it was also a really entertaining movie. And to this day, I tend to go for Dogma as my favourite Kevin Smith movie because I really think, although it misses the mark on a fair bit, I think it's brave as shit. And I think it's close to Kevin Smith got to making something that was art, that said something about society as a whole. But more rats and Jay and Son Bob Strike Back are just so much fun. They're so goofy, they're so silly. And they're not most visually brilliant movies ever made. But at the same time, it's it's just when Kevin Smith was just on top for I'm saying, and I don't give shit that more rats failed at the box office. For me it's one up there of the best teen classic movies. It's like a, a vulgar Brett John Hughes movie. Because it really does have a heart and it's a really nice movie. But Chase and Amy, oh Jesus. Sorry. Chase and Amy is one of the few movies and it was so good. I actually sent Kevin Smith on his um the viewer ski board. This was before the Smogcast podcast. I actually sent him because uh, he used to do Q&As on there. And I just sent, I wasn't asking questions. I was like, dude, I fucking love Chase and Amy. And just saying how I related to in different ways all characters because I think everyone does. And got a really nice reply from him. And... Although I'm not a huge fan of these late movies, I have nothing but time for Kevin Smith now. I think once you get over the, he could have been, because he did Superman Live script and he's going to do Green Hornet, that he could have, and I maintain, if he wanted it, he could have been huge, but I, I don't think he wanted it. It's fine, not everyone has to, but in some ways it's a shame that somebody's, because it's Green Hornet comic, I think he... He it's like based on his script or he co actually co wrote it. It was pretty good and his um his Daredevil is a bit problematic, but at the same time it's a really good fucking comic. And some of his other comics are good too. And Clerk's two script is really good. The movie Nah but the script's really good. And Superman lives his great script. They really should I, I do think they should have just used that for one of Superman movies. Just just what's wrong with using old scripts, you know? Just using old script that's got good quality. I mean, George Romero, God rest his soul, left behind 50 scripts, apparently, that his wife is trying to say, and I'm like, why would you not direct the George Romero script? For all his faults, for all his later movies not being, keyword, not being as good as his older movies... There's this guy whose entire opening part of Dawn's Dead is literally one of the best introductions to any movie flat out ever made. It's just people reading news and the madness going on in the news studio, but the writing is so fucking sharp and brilliant and powerful and it feels natural. And I, I don't know how you write something like that. I literally, I didn't know how you'd write something like that, but it's perfect. So, and and all the subtext and that, he is a goddamn good writer. And I, I would actually, I, I would in a heartbeat direct anything that man wrote. And I can't see why other people wouldn't jump at it. It's ridiculous. I mean, you, she, his wife deserves a big paycheck. For each script sold, rightly so. But I don't understand why studios wouldn't pick those up straight away. At Shudder, if you guys are listening, get in the George Romero business. 
buy a bunch of his scripts and put stuff on your shut your stream network, I guarantee you, at very least, you'd have a bunch of very, very, very watchable movies with great scripts. At very least. I mean, even if they're not best scripts on the planet, I don't want to speak illusions about Shudder because I think they are some nicest some of the nicest people I've met on social media and they've been nothing but sports about this movie, about this um, podcast, which they could shut this down in seconds if they want to. They haven't. Fucking lovely bunch of people. But you can't say with a straight face that George Romero's scripts wouldn't be in the bare minimum in the middle of your catalogue movies because, guys, you've got some gloriously rubbish stuff on your streaming app. And that's fine. Not everything's winger. Island of Death is a piece of shit, rubbish, offensive horror movie. And that's on service, and I accept that, and I'm fine for that. I have no problems with that. But Island of Death and Honeymoon are terrible movies. And anything by Romero, anything Romero's fingerprints on it is going to be better than that. So, Shudder, get on that. I'm off my soapbox. And I'm going back to my point. So those movies real those movies pushed me real into the idea of like I, I love make I love movies. And really love watching them and I love all movies and weird movies and independent movies and all that stuff. Because at the time, like it, Chasing Amy was known. I won't say it wasn't. I wouldn't say it's particularly mainstream. Because it's quite a low budget. More rats bomb box office. You know, Kevin Smith was still an underground director of point. Nowadays he won't be. You get guys like um, Wes Anderson and Rian Johnson. Whose movies get come out. And they're pushed so heavily. That the big names were in a few years. I mean just look, look at um, Ryan Coogler and make Black Panther. And within a couple movies. Within a couple of his opening movies. Like he's. He, I think Fruitvale. Fruitvale. So Fruitvale Station, first movie, then it's Creed, then it's Black Panther. It's like, you don't, it's it's great. They should be thrown at the top because these guys are goddamn great directors. But at the same time, back in the day, you had to ease your way up. In theory, Kevin Smith got more money than more rats, but it wasn't exactly a high-budget movie like Creed. And not saying Kevin Smith is at Ryan Coogan's level or was, although I think he's fantastic. I'm just saying that the Superman push is a new thing as far as I know. Anyway, so Reservoir Dogs really got me writing scripts because I wrote a terrible script called um, Criminal Intent. This was for Law and Order. I also wrote a script called Twilight Saga about superhero before Twilight Books came out. So I can't say that anymore. But it's a really terrible script. But it, writing it was so much fun. And I know you're probably thinking at this point. What's this after of horror movies? Where making a weekly podcast. Is essentially like making a TV show. And I sure shit wasn't going to be comfortable writing. TV show style content. Until I'd had that experience writing movie script. You write a movie script. That's your introduction. And then you start writing TV style scripts. And then as I got to 2003, I was writing weekly scripts online for virtual series, which basically unproduced um, TV series sort of thing. It's like continuing series with just the scripts. And okay, I bombed at that a few times. Um, 
because doing that weekly is very taxing and I was very young at the time I wasn't mature enough to handle it but it, but those experiences got me through to making this podcast and now I've made fucking eight this is my eighth weekly episode and overall this is my 11th episode and this first went up in shit it's not been eight yeah and I started this eight weeks ago so as far as I'm concerned I have fucking redeemed myself yeah I've redeemed myself so that's good from my experiences of being younger because you put a lot of stress on yourself when you're that young to make content in some ways you've got the energy to do it but not maturity Anyway, back to um, what I was trying to get back to. So, around 15, 16, I really got into watching these independent movies. And then I found out that my maths teacher at school, Miss Halbert, was, um, had launched a film, film, film cinema studies to uh, A-level. So I was like, i got to get into this. So I applied for that. And what followed was two of my favourite movie-watching years ever. It's it's kind of weird to explain, really, because you, you, you see these people in movies and TV shows, these teachers who inspire people, and you think, that's not real life. Well, Mrs. Halbert was, like, oh, unbelievable teacher. The movies that she inspired us to watch, she pulled F1 in the class out of their element and got us watching movies by Jean-Pierre Jeannot, Wong Kar Wai... David Cronenberg, David Lynch. We we were introduced to movies far beyond the Hollywood spare. We we even saw stuff like Aaron Brockovich, which was by Steven Soderbergh, who I'd late find out was uh, an independent director of renown. And we'd watch movies like those and then be told, this is by an independent director who's making Hollywood movie, but these are independent movies made by independent directors, not for Hollywood for an independent market. And that's also how I first learned about Coen Brothers, who are oh, amazing. And actually watched Reservoir Dogs. Again, which is good. So that's like my instruction. That's two years I've been shown. Oh, oh and the um, French New Wave, uh, Francois Truffaut. Shit, I can't remember the other one. It's really bad movie knowledge. <laughs> Yeah, so we watched, and great part of that was you're shown so many independent movies and so many foreign movies like from China and um, we watched The Hain too, which was very powerful. So you watch movies from China and France. I don't think we got to Italy. I think that country had exploded movie-wise quite at that point. It had by the time got to university. The, the, lead, the breathful movies even that we watched was great because... It was a wonderful class. You weren't forced to say Wong Kar Wai is best director on the planet. You were forced to recognise that he had made movies, that movies were a phenomenon in um, China and that you needed to know he existed. But you were never told that you had to love him as director. It's just you need to know about these movies. You need to watch these movies. And then you need to understand that there's movies beyond America and England. America at times, England's movie business at times was shit. I mean, it's just, you make one good movie in England, even nowadays, one good movie, everyone makes fucking rubbish rip-offs of it. 
but forces us to identify with a bunch of different cultures and movies. And I don't like Wong Kar Wai movies very much. I have to say that. I, I think... I, it goes back to audition. I don't, I, I don't think audition's a bad movie. I don't think any Wong Kar Wai's are bad movies. I'd say I appreciate them, but I can't enjoy them on level enough people can. It's just where it is. I just feel like, yeah, you, they're, they're good. They're well made. They're competent. There's some visual flourishes and he's going for a theme and all that. But the actual gist of what's going on in the movie, I just, no interest. Ow, sorry. So that's the theme says, and it's amazing because that Mrs. Halbert is the reason I got to university in the first place because... I didn't do so great my my very levels. I chose history and sociology for some fucking reason. I still don't understand why, to be honest. And um, I didn't do great life of those, but she wrote such a good letter to Aberystwyth University, and I got accepted to them. And then I moved off to Wales for a few years, and I had access to <laughs> uh, means at the time to watch any horror movie I ever wanted to watch. And I, it's before Shadow, so I won't go into those means. So it's the first time I watched The Nightmare on the Street was at um, university in 2003. And wow, that blew my mind because I've always been fascinated by dreams and like lucid dreams and how dreams can influence you and your perception. And that movie really hit me. It goes back to what I don't like about Blair Witch. Blair Witch is people getting lost in a word which is scary, but at the same time, you chose to go to that fucking wood with two people who didn't know what they're doing and couldn't navigate. So my sympathy for you is not really very high. With something like Nightmare on Street, those kids don't have choice. They try to get out of the situation, but situations more than they can handle. That's scary to me. Blair Witch 2 scares me, where they go to a house and it's nothing wrong or weird about house. Their memories stop playing tricks on them. That's messed up. And Nightmare on Street really put that across. It's one of my favourite horror franchises ever. Actually, jump forward a bit. Um, I watched all Nightmare on Street movies in quick succession. And then this year, I went to see Nightmare on Street Part 2 at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, which is, you need to go if you live near London. The Prince Charles Cinema is like independently owned cinema that plays... A selection of some new movies, some obscure new movies, but mainly old movies. And oh, it's so good. The audience is really up for it. It's where the room is played on a weekly basis for audience screenings. Oh, and occasionally, Tommy was a great sister come by. It's amazing. I've been to multiple times. So that really solidified. My love for horror movies because I was like, this is a really genuinely good movie. Like, I, I love Evil Dead 2, that was fun. And I, I appreciate Mulholland Drive, but Nightmare on Main Street was really the first time you know, I watched horror movie. And I was like, because I remember going back to Apollo Video, I read all about Freddy Krueger's stuff on boxes, and I was like, how could this live up to it? And then you watch this horror movie from years and years and years ago, from the 1980s, and you're like, this is shit, it's gold, Jerry. It's gold. And from there, I'd watch Nightmare on Street series. I watched Biff Friday 13th, not too much. Um, but the one that I really 
really watch was um I found uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um no. Night of Living Dead, yeah. I found that and I watched that and then I watched Dawn and then I watched Day. And I'm I know it's not a trilogy anymore, I know it's a bunch of movies, but I will until my dying day maintain that Dawn that Romero's original three move Dave movies Night's Dawn Day are the best trilogy ever made. Stunning. Like, from top to bottom. Like, I love Night. I think Night's a really good movie. Dawn destroys Night. Dawn is like the George Romero's buzz for going mainstream. And it should have. It should have gone mainstream. But it's it's a kind of action movie, but not really. So much character. Such great premise, such great themes and thematic concepts. And a really, really... An ending that starts dark, but then it's hopeful. It's bittersweet, which I love, because Night has a happy ending. Dawn's a bit sweet ending. But Dawn's a crowd-pleaser, because the pie scene... Oh, it's amazing. And at some point, I am going to do Dawn of the Dead, but I warn you, I can't be critical of it. I think it's, I think it's perfect. Absolutely perfect movie. And then Day, which is not as fun as Dawn, not as fun as Dawn, but Day is a fucking juggernaut of a movie. And the best thing Romero's ever done, although I haven't watched Martin yet. I've seen Crazies, which I really like, but apparently Martin's his masterpiece, so I have to watch that at some point. And then from there, uh, it was Scream which I, I love. I think Scream's a perfect movie. Sequels don't come close. The first Scream is oh, perfect. Didn't watch I Know You Did last summer. I only watched that like last year for the first time. That's fucking rubbish. I mean, I know it's Kevin Williamson, who's a really, really good writer when he's on point. But I Know What You Did last summer is rubbish. Absolute, absolute shit. To go from Scream to that... I mean, it's a bit like, and this, sorry, this is spoilers for Cabin in Woods, so I'm going to, you have 10 seconds to exit out the podcast, and in exactly two minutes, I'll stop talking about it. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So, Cabin in Woods bugged me because all that glorious setup, and they chose like, Zombies is the bad guys. Just really irritated me. Because you had... And this is essentially what bugs me about. I know you did last summer. Scream revolutionised the genre. And next year, the faculty did the same for sci-fi horror movies. Faculty is a wonderful horror movie. And then in Twingdoms, I know you did last summer, which is a generic horror movie. And there's nothing wrong with generic horror movies. In theory... But coming after Masterpiece of Scream needs to top your game a bit. You know? And also, another thing that annoyed about Cabin in Woods is I don't rate it as highly as other people because I think it is a horror movie made by horror movie fans for horror movie fans, but it's a bit smug about horror movies. And while it's very clever, it's not very scary. And also, I think Evil Dead the next year, and it kind of goes against my... 
um, I know he did last summer, boy. But I think he all did the year after. Played the tropes straight and was far better moving than Cabin and Woods. It's like it disproves, disproves Cabin Woods' point. It's also the fact that I think Joss Whedon and I think Drew Goddard's a really good director and writer, but I don't think Joss Whedon has a. I don't think he's got that good of a knowledge of horror movies, and I think that seeps through into Gavin and Woods quite a fair bit. I, I, yeah, so I don't rate that, but I'm not going to go on the Joss Whedon rant. So, University. I don't know, I don't know, I wasn't, I, I, I kind of, for a while I went off our movies a bit, because you, when you're at university and you're in a sim- movies course, and you still love people making terrible fucking horror movies, student horror movies, oh, they're the worst, they put you right off, and that put me off horror movies for a while, and then when I graduated university, the the BA in 2006, I, for lack of better word, I drifted for two years. I think most people would call it the pseudo-20s depression, um, where you leave university, and if you don't have a concrete job in mind, you drift. And I really did drift for those two years, until I went back to university, and then had the last two years, and that's when, yeah, that's... When I joined the Sci-Fi Society, which was, um, yeah, it's good. I mean, not horror. I did join a horror society, but they showed um, shit. Um, uh, Takeshi meets Ishii the Killer. And I think after a few years being out of horror movies, you watch that and you see the pins drag, dug into Guy and all of his flesh. And actually, the video we're watching broke, so I just saw that, and I was like, I'm out, I'm not watching this. I left. I think nowadays I'll be able to watch it fine, but back then it was like, this is too much, like, I, I, you need to be eased into horror. Actually, no, what I'm talking about, no, that took place in the first time I was at university. So I'm getting timelines my dog. Just like Doc Manhattan in um, fucking Watchmen, that dirty blue bastard. No, same time university, because that's the first attenuation for the Sci-Fi Society. I don't know why we're watching Ishii Icky Killer if it's the Sci-Fi Society, but maybe it's just a general movie one. Same time I joined Sci-Fi Society and watched Being Human, which was fucking rubbish. I hate that show. It's the worst. It's not good sci-fi and it's not good horror. But that's when, yeah, I mean... The same time university is when I met, uh, yeah, I met some great people who I got back into watching horror movies because it became more of, really more of a social activity because for a long time horror movies were a one person sort of activity, mostly, and occasionally more than that, but mostly one because some of my favourite experiences watching horror movies have been that. Like, for example, the first time I watched Candyman, the incredible Tony Todd movie and I watched it at home one parents were out and I turned all the lights out and watched it and it freaked the shit out of me in way that stuff like Find Destination didn't because Candyman was just A, stunningly violent and B, the jump scares were actually jump scares 
And also Patricia Arquette and Tony Todd. I mean, when you're fucking horror movie cast, that's Patricia Arquette and Tony Todd, both on form, you know you're in for a goddamn great movie. Because Patricia Arquette is legitimately one of the best actors of any sets on the planet. Boy, she is so good in Boyhood. Boyhood is, um, by the way, something I'm thankful for my movie course and Miss Albert because I would not have watched Boyhood if I hadn't gone through that course. And Boyhood and Lady Bird, I, I, I love watching movies and I love the whole aesthetic of it. Those two movies just make me feel like we as a human race, as collective human race, sometimes we, a lot of times we make, and I know I do it for this podcast, I do an episode a week and I love it, I really appreciate it, but sometimes they're not going to be winners, like American Psycho, I, I love the bit at the end where I'm doing the reading of the book, but I don't think the review's very good, but you have to put out, you have to, you do not get better unless you keep making stuff and it's not all going to win, but Boyhood, Ladybird, Fucking hell, man! Like that—that's a win for humanity, as far as I'm concerned. Ladybird, the scene where her mother drives off, drops her off, and drives off and drives back round, and it's like a one shot of Lauren McCarth, and oh my god! Like you just—you—you you, you just want to show that to everyone and be like, this is fucking acting. This is what a fucking movie should be. And save boyhood. Like, there's so many scenes in that movie. Like, the last scene of that movie, where he's with, where he's met up with someone going co- a woman's going to college with, and the audience knows that woman is someone he met as a teenager, and they don't know that, and they're just sat there, chilling out on top of a cliff, doing drugs, and you're just watching, so like, Oh my god, it's such a beautiful image and to end on. Sorry, I'm wearing up actually, Jesus Christ. But movies have that power. <laughs> Not really horror movies, because like we were, I've watched some shit already. But at the same time, I've watched some great stuff. And the as in horror movies from quite not a relatively early age. I liked them at fifteen, but honestly, it's since two thousand eight that it's gone fucking supernova. Partly because um, Abris with University is this thing called Abattoir, where it's like a week-long celebration of horror movies, in which that's the first time I watched a Grindhouse movie called Pieces. And, oh, man, like, I'm going to get Pieces at some point. It is the most fun you'll ever have watching a horror movie. It is terrible and wonderful and bad at the same time. But it's great. It's so much fun to watch. And it's like, yeah, the the friends I made in university in like 2008, there's still friends nowadays, and actually, be honest, ulterior motives, main reasons for doing podcasts, one of the reasons was the sheer joy I have when like, we're, me and those friends discussing horror movies or watching horror movies together, is what I want to put out there. I I just thought the past ten Jesus, ten fucking years. The ten years I've been doing watching really, really getting super horror movies. 
I want to put that out there. I want to put that out to podcasts. And I like to think I've kind of succeeded because I watch stuff like Honeymoon and I'm like, this, I have to share this. Like, it just works. And Honeymoon, to me, is the best thing I've done so far on this podcast. It's just, ah, oh, magic. Which naturally means it's the one people are listening to least because that's how it works. What I like and what I think is great is rarely what correlates with you guys. But that's fine. That's the magic of it. You know, it's a middle ground. The American Psycho has 17 fucking hits. Listens. According to Anchor, it might have more otherwise. I don't know how their system works. But I'm like, how the fuck? That's the worst one. How does that have so many listens? And I know why. It's because people probably get to the bit at the end with the book reading. And that's the bit they love. And that's great. I love that too. But yeah, for episodes, pretty, pretty shoddy. And then some flesh eaters is like 31 as of today, which is the um, 14th of October, 2018. And I'm like, well, how fuck? Like, I like that one. But that one's literally just me splurting out shit. So maybe that's what people like. Maybe my passion for some fleshy supersedes the fact that it's not a very good episode. I don't know. I'm not judging. <laughs> I'm saying it's weird what people like and what they don't like. But that's what makes doing podcasts fascinating. Sorry. So anyway, that's 2008. After I finished university again, 2010, I drifted again. Um, not. I wouldn't say depression... Because I think that I don't like that term and I feel like, well, I mean, I'm a strange guy. I like, I tend to sometimes have the attitude of diagnosing mental conditions is great, but sometimes it feels like it defines someone. And I think for me, and I'll go, it's quite personal to talk about. For me, it's more a case of. I have my foibles, I have my um, good days and bad days. But I, now, I like who I am. I really do. I feel like I'm glad I'm doing this podcast. I'm writing more. I'm getting out more. I have a stable job. I have good friends. I have a great family. And yeah, there's, there's things I want. But I feel like if you want something, you have to go for it. And if you spend all your time worrying about depression or anxiety or anything like that or letting it define you you're not really going to get anything done and maybe you have people with different attitudes I don't know but I don't really have much time to think about it my attitude's like I, I will just keep going until I can't go anymore pretty much I mean I've had it cold for like six weeks at this point on and off and that's not going to fucking stop me <laughs> but also I think those years after I finished university same time before I got my current job I was yeah I was in bad I wasn't in the best place and I was there were times I was quite beaten down even after getting this job first year and a half was really tough but now I'm in a place where I feel I'm in good I'm, in, I'm, I'm good I'm happy um there's things I want, like just said, but I'm going to get them because I have purpose now. It took me a long time to get to making this podcast, a longer time than I would have liked. But 
for someone who's always been striving to be a creative guy and write and make product, this podcast is my one of the highlights of my week because I get to create something every week. I mean, I've been talking for 43 minutes at this point about simply nothing about myself and my life for 43 minutes and how I got to this podcast. And haven't even gotten to what the podcast is meant to represent, really, yet. I've alluded to it. But what I'm trying to say is that a lot of people don't make a podcast because they think I'm not interesting enough or my life isn't interesting enough or I have nothing to say. And to those people, I say, bullshit. You want make podcasts? Make a fucking podcast. If you're worried that no one's going to listen, who gives a shit? Seriously, who cares? Once this is out there, it's out there. If people want to listen to it, they can. If they don't, they don't. But at some point, you'll have enough out there. And if someone does listen, if someone likes it, they'll keep listening. I've done 10... This is my 11th episode overall. Eighth week episode list. If someone starts now, they have 11 go through. If by the end of that 11, they still like what I'm saying, they will wait for the next one. If they don't, they'll be out shortly. My first episode is 31 listens. My next highest is 17. So, in that 17 was five episodes, was about six episodes later. So, you know, it's like, really, people get too worked up over, oh, no one's going to listen, I shouldn't do it. Just do it anyway. Do it for yourself. Do it because you love it. I love horror movies. I love discussing horror movies. And I'm going to, and that's what I do. I weekly I watch something on Shudder and I'll discuss it, except for this week, which is a bit different, granted. And at the same time, like, I made this happen. You know, I, I create this, I put this out, but at the same time, I promote it, I work hard at it, I constantly come up with ideas for it. And at the same time, I actually said, went Shudder and thought, maybe they won't prove of it. Fuck it, I'll try anyway. They did prove. And now some lovely guys there follow me on Twitter. Which is great. It's like, I'm not asking them to throw me a check. I would say no. I'm just saying, you know, they supported it. They don't have to. But if I hadn't asked, they wouldn't. If you don't ask, you're not going to get. And that ties us full circle back to this podcast. What is this podcast designed to achieve? It's designed to achieve the feeling I had watching Pieces back in 2008, where I watched a movie that was terrible with a lot of people. I shared that experience with them in a real-time setting. Loved it, great experience. And I thought, why not try something like that nowadays? And I just showed horror up was the only option for me. And I was like, if I love horror movies and I love discussing them, and I don't always discuss them on a day basis, but sometimes I'll Skype with friends in another country, I'll watch a terrible movie and we'll have a laugh about it. And that's great. We share that experience. Why not pass that on to other people I don't know? Why not talk about these terrible horror movies with a wider audience? And hopefully I'm trying to get those friends to appear on one of these future podcasts. Touch wood. And it's just me thinking, why not just do that? And I do that. And I create this every week. And at the same time, this model is designed the way that WWE Network works now. Because, spoiler, I'm a huge wrestling fan. And not in that 
douchebag online. Oh, well, I hate the WWE because, like, that's, that's the big thing, man. i got to support independence, you know? Or you could shut the fuck up and just watch everything. Like, I tried to watch all wrestling because I think, according to found wrestling means that you enjoy or know about all wrestling. It's not, oh, I watch everything except this one because fuck them. They make money. They're a business and I can't support them, but I'll support New Japan Pro Wrestling because that's not a business. That's a bunch of people doing shit for no reason. And I'm not, I'm not criticising New Japan. I love New Japan, but it's all a business. It's all to make money. And while WWE is pretty scummy, they're all really scummy if we're honest. I mean, wrestling's scummy in general. But that's a div- that's a tangent. The point I'm trying to make, and I'm making really awkwardly, is that I won't do this WWE Saturday Night Live model with more WWE, where Raw has been running for foul SmackDown has been running for a thousand episodes as of this week, I think. And I don't know if I'm going to get to a thousand episodes, but I fucking won't do one a week until I either quit. Or naturally finishes. And given how many movies on Shudder, I think I've got a fair way to go from that. Oh, right, sorry. I forgot to mention. Reason it's a podcast is because of two podcasts fucking old OSW Wrestling and Attitude Era. And right, this is the point where I'm going to start well up again because I cannot stress how. Those two have literally become, like, habit viewing for me. OSW is just so utterly inspiring. You know, because... Jesus. Because it's three guys. It's just three guys talking about wrestling. And just having a laugh. Just talking about wrestling and having a laugh. But poking fun at it, but still loving it at the same time. And... A, I love that, so I'm nostalgic. I know the references they're making. And B, they're a bunch of guys who make jokes about wrestling. And great, don't get me wrong, great critical points about wrestling. But then they'll make jokes about Frasier. It's always Sun in Fear, Dave Fear and The Simpsons. And I'm watching, I'm thinking, these are three guys you would know as, like, who you would know in real life. Normal guys. Making a fucking amazing podcast once a month. And that was inspiring. The others are the Attitude Era podcast. Same thing. A wonderful podcast. Like, about the Attitude Era of Wrestling, which was 1990... Kind of 97, kind of but mainly 98, 2001. Wonderful podcast. But at the same time, three really... Don't get me wrong, really... The, the three on the stuff doing three on Attitude Era... They're all three, all six of them are really sharp, really funny, really witty, really creative, really smart people. But at the same time, they're guys making podcasts. And when they started, they didn't know it's going to be a success. They just knew we want to do this because we feel we have something to say. People listen great. If they don't, we're still going to do it. And years later, they got they they have patrons. They have merchandise. They're fucking live tours. I went to see Atty Deer at Kim's Place in London and it fucking blew me away. It it literally blew me away. And that was like getting us thinking at some point when I make this podcast, I'd love to earn some money for it. But at the same time, I just love doing it. 
I just love talking about horror movies, as I've proven, because I could not only talk about horror movies for over an hour and a half, as I proved with Zombie Flesh Eaters, and two hours is proved with, one hour fifty is proved with Audition. Fifty minutes I can spend talking about my podcast and my life. It barely touched the fucking ground of it. You know, the meat of it. I'm only alluding to a lot of shit. And... Especially after seeing Yadudira live and after seeing that show and seeing reaction to it and my own reaction to it at King's Place, which is a wonderful place. It's like London Podcast Festival. And leaving and being like, yeah, I'm going to fucking get there someday with, I'm going to get there podcast. Well, not even I'm going to get there, just I won't get there. And that's true. I won't be at London Podcast Festival at some point and at the same time, I want to be, go to Abattoir in Aberystwyth, I want my podcast to go there and won't record an episode there. So that's my goals. So, and this is the 11th episode, the fucking milestone episode, because, like, Spine Taps to take up to 11. I would like to say the most sincere thanks to everyone who's listened up to this point, because this has literally been one of the best things I have ever done in my life. And I'm very grateful that I've got this far. And I would just like to say that the next milestone, well, there's a lot of milestones, but the next milestone is 89 more episodes away. Because I am getting to episode 100, the total episode 100, and the week's episode 100. And I would just, yeah, I cannot express how grateful I am that I have this platform. Um, grateful to Anchor for providing podcasts. Grateful to iTunes for fucking approving this shit and getting on iTunes. Grateful for everyone who listens or who shares or who retweets. Um, just so grateful in so many ways, so many people. Grateful for my friends for um, just inspiring me to create this content by being so supportive um grateful to all terrible movies i've seen oh shit I, you run up be grateful for my family for supporting this um and also grateful to the now we're talking podcast it's a wonderful fucking podcast you should follow it it's on twitter and on iTunes, um, and just grateful because they retweet and like stuff constantly, and they're a fucking lovely bunch of guys who are very receptive to supporting, and also, if I ever need any advice or anything like that, they'll give me advice, so I'm grateful to them, and also, I am grateful to Shudder in general, because I think it's not only a wonderful app run by wonderful people, but it's something I would love to have had in years gone by. And it also feels full circle. I had Apollo Vidya as my gateway to horror movies, which was the video shop of looking at boxes and seeing what's on there. And now, 20 years later, Jesus Christ, 20 years later. Fucking hell. 20 years later, I have Shudder, which has almost not F horror movie I've made, but a lot of them and a lot of movies that I would not have ordinarily got a chance to see. So, thanks, Shudder. Love you guys. And I will be back next week with something different. 
It may be great encounters. It may not. I will let you know. But until then, remember, life is beautiful. <laughs>